Hey, this is Eric here. Welcome to the 2016 year of A24. Just wanted to start out with a production note. We will be releasing these episodes every other week now. Last year we got a bit burnt out with recording these every week, and as you all know, we don't get paid for this. So, we decided as a team that to still give you quality film reviews and to still take full enjoyment in doing these podcasts, and to keep each episode feeling fresh for us, we wanted to give ourselves a bit more of a buffer between each review. So again, these will be released every other week now. We hope you understand, and as always, thank you for listening, and please rate and subscribe if you haven't yet. Good evening, world, or good morning, or good whatever time of day or night you happen to be listening to this. Welcome. Welcome, one and all, to my favorite movie podcast and yours, A24 on the Rocks. We are so glad you've decided to join us on this majestic movie masterclass of a podcast, and we hope you stick around. Tonight, we are reviewing the 2015 American crime thriller Mojave, written and directed by Oscar-winning screenplay writer William Monaghan, who famously adapted and wrote the screenplay for one of my favorite movies, The Departed. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I am not alone on this wonderful journey through cinematic time and space. No. Back at it again is the rest of the A24 on the Rocks gang. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And uh, why don't we just remind the people who you are and what beverages you've selected for this fine evening. Welcome back, you lovely people. Uh, my name's Eric Kiska, and I am drinking a two-hearted ale, because uh, I am one of two people here living in Michigan, and it's the best beer on earth. Up next, we have... This is Kelly, wife of Eric. You already know it. I'm drinking a lovely and cheap cab salve. We're keeping it classy with some red wine around here. Next up. It's Cole William Whitlock Gibson. Tonight was a very special fistful of bourbon. Deliciously smooth bourbon, I may add. Up next, we got my boy. Hey guys, it's Blaze with Joe Grind back in action. I'm in a new location. Uh, for you listeners, I have some books behind me, so I look very smart right now, I'm sure. And I'm drinking Coors Light because I, you know, I, I, I've given up trying to explain myself. Uh, let's get into the movie, though. I like your guys' drinks. <laughs> and once again, I am your host, Kevin K. Konkonacek, and tonight I am drinking bourbon barrel, single barrel cast strength at 110 proof. Tastes like jet fuel, but damn, is it not delicious. Yeah, like Cole said, let's get fucked up. Or let's dive into this movie. Well, you know, same thing, right? Same thing. Mojave premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival on April 18th, 2015, and became the first A24 theatrical release of 2016, a year that would see an additional 16 movies hit the A24 library, including such fan favorites as The Witch, which we are reviewing on our next episode, by the way. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean. Also, Swiss Army Man and Moonlight. Mojave premiered to mixed reviews by critics and fans, and since then has generally been regarded as one of the weaker installments in the A24 canon. But that is why we have gathered all here this fine evening to dissect, lambast, and otherwise dissect and digest this movie. Lambastard. 
and hopefully render our own opinions and judge where this film ultimately land in the annals of motion picture history. Dun, dun, dun. But often, we like to start with them good old-fashioned initial A24 vibes, or vibes in general. Our main, main characters are introduced to the audience with a memorable, if not a bit mumbled line that sets up the theme for the whole movie. When you get what you want, what do you want? So, Eric, what are your thoughts on our opening scene? Yeah, I got this guy who was supposed to be suicidal, I guess. He just seemed like he was at the wrong end of a bend, and he was this... uh. L.A. hipster folk, because uh, we don't really know how rich he is at that point. L.A. hipster that's just like, yeah, I'm sick of L.A., I'm gonna go to the desert, and then he does. I thought, you know, it was gonna actually set us up for kind of a cool trip into the desert, some magical realism kind of vibes that we would get from a desert film, but it never really does that. But uh, yeah, th- those are definitely my opening vibes and where I thought the film was going. Blaze, what did you think as that uh, first couple scenes kind of rolled through the screen? Um, so from off the bat, they show a documentary interview or something like that of the, uh, the lead character. Tom is his name, right? Mm-hmm. Tom or Jack? Yes, Tom. And he goes on this whole, like, uh, speech, and it just came off as very narcissistic, very vapid, very self-centered, and he kind of came off that way as the film progressed. Uh, it was definitely a mystery for me when it started. Like Eric said, I, he, you were... I think he was supposed to be getting like suicidal vibes but he just seemed kind of like bored and in need of uh you know re-enlightenment or something like that but um yeah it was just kind of confusing like the rest of this movie it was a very confusing opening scene and the main character immediately comes off as unlikable and holier than thou and haughty kelly did you uh share in that confusion as you were kind of trying to establish what was happening right in the beginning Yeah, I don't hate the idea of what they're trying to establish. And then they kind of poke fun at it later in the film where they're like, it's a millionaire, it's an actor who isn't happy with their life. No one will ever believe this. And I like that they kind of poke fun at themselves with it. But I definitely felt like at the beginning of the film, I was, I didn't get a suicidal kind of vibe from him, which I didn't even know to look for until I read the IMDb and heard these two gentlemen talk. I just got like a thrill seeker kind of vibe, if anything, and I wasn't caring about him, and I found my mind wandering until we find our opposite of our protagonist here coming up. Right, so I had also read kind of ahead of time a little bit that the guy was supposed to be suicidal or something, and I also agree that it was just, there was nothing to it. I didn't feel like they were actually established that that was supposed to be a thing. Grab dude, dude grabs two bottles of vodka and goes speeding off in a Land Rover in the desert. He's going to have a good time. He was just trying to escape from reality. Cole, what did you think that man's intentions were as he got behind the wheel and sped off into the Mojave? Yeah, I mean, I had no idea he was suicidal until I looked up IMDb after the film like Kelly. He just didn't seem to have, I guess, the tendencies I would have expected to see in a film. He definitely seemed more of just like a guy that was very artistic and was like wanted to lose himself and kind of recenter out in the desert, get fucked up, reset come back and go back to the grind of being a Hollywood director, actor, something. I think he's supposed to be a director according to IMDb, but... I think we're supposed to be confused, apparently, because we're all in the same boat. I think he's an actor turned co-production owner, or something. He's an artist. That's since 19. He's a VIP client number one. He's famous since 19. 
Yeah, yeah, since everybody, 19, everybody yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Prodigy. Anyway, also, Prodigy. He's supposed to be a director, I actually, but I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they pull his, his movie. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's right, he gets upset and, that he doesn't have control over his movie. Yeah. But. I also did not know his name throughout the whole entire film. I thought his name was Norman at some point. <laughs> it turns out, not him. Tom. Yeah, Tom. I, I had no idea either. Yeah. I knew I knew the other guy's name, but um, that, was, that was about But yeah, definitely, definitely not the vibe I was getting. Um, I, I, I like the setting of the Mojave, but I feel like the opening scenes and the sequences didn't give me, didn't like show off. Cause like the Mojave is like actually a pretty beautiful and very cool setting and like ecosystem. And I just feel like if they didn't really utilize that to the, like the, to its fullest with like set design, cinematography, whatever you want to call it. It just, they didn't seem like they captured it. I didn't like, care for it. No, I'm also, glad you brought that up because that was my next question. I was going to ask about what we thought about the director's choice for using the Mojave Desert as the setting for this. Do we think the opening scenes in the Land Rover kind of gave us some cool hints? I mean, we've all kind of touched it on it already. And I know, Eric, you had mentioned that we thought that we might be getting ourselves into a better movie just kind of from some of those initial vibes that we saw in the film. Yeah, I, well, I was hoping that they would, would have stuck in the Mojave Desert because it is this interesting ecosystem landscape that, you know, deserts are all, always very mystical to me. You know, you that's it's where you go to take peyote and just uh, kind of, you know, go, go on a completely endless trip where you might find yourself uh, dead in the end or maybe you find yourself uh, out of there in an oasis somewhere. But, yeah, then we get introduced to the villain who I love Oscar Isaac. He's a great actor. But he just seemed like a cartoon character. Like, if this movie was an- animated, I would have found him bouncing around the desert uh, right before he got to the the bonfire. And yeah. he, he gave off kind of, like, Joker vibes. Philosophical person that had a bad life, but, like, also was a little bit dumb. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Kelly, and you were going to say we... something. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kelly, go ahead. I want to jump back before we talk about Oscar Isaac real quick, yes. just uh, about kind of like establishing shots and cinematography. It was another one of these films that started with a desert scene. We're talking about the Mojave. And when we had discussed Rover, I was talking about how like the outback and this kind of like dry deserty scene, it's not my personal kind of climate, but there was specifically the shot in Mojave. And I thought that Rover was also like, great cinematography and proved me wrong based on my previous assumptions and this film also had that establishing shot when he kind of walks into the gas station or convenience store to buy his water and his booze where it's just like beautifully well lit and it's just this like wonderful gradient of the sky with the desert below it and I think that they had quite a few shots like that where it is really beautiful and it made me think if I was a filmmaker that would be a kind of a scene that I might want to like place my story in just based on how beautiful it comes across on a movie. And I think that this movie did take advantage of that quite a few times. Absolutely. And um, I was looking up some research before this and William Monaghan is basically as quoted as saying uh, at a certain point in his life, he took a similar trip out to the Mojave and that's where the inspiration from this film all came from was just finding himself in that exact filming location actually where they shot it and just looking around and being like, I'm going to write a movie here. Cool. Are you sure he didn't get inspiration from No Country for Old Men? <laughs> I mean, that's that kind of quite a little bit of that. Yeah, quite this, possible. That movie Call came out in 2007, yeah. and this came out several years later. 
But uh, I wanted to go before we got to Oscar Isaac and how they made him not hot. Uh, (laughs) This movie had probably the worst car crash I've ever seen. I was just going to bring that up. Oh my God. Stole the thunder. Stole the thunder. All right, Cole, go ahead and then Blaze's reaction because I want to hear his comment on this. It's a hard cut. He's just like driving and he's just swerving around because he's like, oh, I'm drunk and I hate myself, I guess. And uh, and then next thing you know, it does a hard cut. He grabs out of the window. The car is just on its side sliding. It's like they don't show the car doing anything. They literally just shot him driving crazy. And then they did a hard cut and they're like, okay, now we're going to flip this car over and we're going to drag it and film it that way. Like they don't even show anything. It was just, it drove me crazy. Blaze, go ahead. Tell me you you also thought that car crash was ridiculous. Oh, it was yeah. It it wasn't very well shot, like a fifties film almost, where they like would have like the the video of the person on a set like driving it like this, like ah, and then all of a sudden you just see it like just sliding like like it was straight out of Wiley e. Coyote. As far as the setting itself goes, I really agree with Eric. I wish the whole movie would have been in the Mojave Desert because there's so many ways you could do it just from a cinematography standpoint. Uh, The deserts are, you know, thematically about rebirth, death, you know, and life cycle and like persevering. And that was kind of what this Tom character seemed like he needed at the end of the film. So if they would have stayed in the uh, desert, I think at least narratively and symbolically, um, it would have had a better focus than the movie that we got, which uh, we'll talk about later, but yeah. No, I think you bring up a really great point. I think that this movie in a lot of different places has all of the right parts and things that could make it excellent. We talk about an opening scene and awesome establishing shots, and then things just kind of go sour from there. And I think that it's a very accurate point that there's a lot of things that could have went right that just inevitably didn't go right with this movie. And, like, even something like that car crash, we we just got done talking about it. What, was it budget concerns? Like, you didn't have enough special effects to be able to crash a car correctly? Were you lazy? Did you run out of time? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Here we are in this world. I want to hear what Kelly has to say. Yeah, Kelly, you want to throw in on that? An argument for the car crash, which I'm glad that you all mentioned it, because for me, I thought that this was one of the best car crash scenes I've ever seen. Because it's not a movie about cars. It's not a movie about action or anything like that. We don't need to see what it looks like from the outside. I think that if you are behind the wheel and you get into a car accident like that, it kind of looks like that to you behind the wheel, where you are oriented one way and then you are instantly oriented the other way and your car's like totaled. I found that to be a really strong point in the way that they incorporated that just car accident. I don't know. I feel differently about it. This movie I, wasn't about cars. Yeah, no, you, you do. You do make me so second why, guess why myself. Should they, why should yeah. they show you more action or more car I just accident didn't like, sequence? It's from the driver, the why, drunk driver's perspective. I thought I missed something like, personally. If they just didn't do the hard cut, it would have been cool. I think that it is cool. But they did a weird hard cut <laughs> where he's upright. Hard cut. He's now sideways. Like there's and no, it was instantaneous no, too. No it was just like it was like it was, he was driving and then his it, arm was up and I was like, yeah. oh, that's the ground next to him. Yeah, it was. It was but it jarring. I had to go back and rewind it. Yeah, so that did I. It'd be it. like, did I miss something? It was like a rack, like a, a rabbit or a rock or something? Like what? Uh, I was very just drunk, dude. Just drunk. Just drunk. <laughs> Now we are going to move on to the highlight Brother. of this film. 
at least for me anyway, and that's Oscar Isaac. Now, we can get into what we feel about his uh, performance and how he performances, performances? performed, I'm, I can English today, but uh, basically in the storyline, soon after the crash, we're introduced to Oscar Isaac's character, Jack, a gruff-looking, gravelly-sounding drifter with a penchant for literary references and apparently murder. We can dive more into his performance in a little bit, but what was your initial reactions to the rambling, highly intelligent psycho killer? Cole, what did you think of Mr. Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac and Jack? Uh, I didn't like his accent. Also, uh, I didn't realize it was Oscar Isaac at first because he wasn't hot. I was just like, "Why? what is happening to this weird drifter guy? And then uh, I'm also, uh, I was curious if Hulk Hogan was going to sue this movie. Because he might have. Yeah. Every time he said brother, it was just like, brother. <laughs> brother you ready for hulkamania <sighs> um i uh i i liked how they the campfire scene i thought that was very i, I thought it was cool the way it played out and i liked how his character oscar isaac's character the nuances of things that he said during that conversation that i actually i, I watched it twice because I, I wanted to go back to that initial one after finishing the movie and like I thought that part was done very well, and like the writing in that whole scene was 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 awesome. And I wish that scene kept throughout the movie, but it it, it ended quickly and and kind of divulged from there. Did- All right, so Eric, go ahead. The same question. I want you to also touch on what you thought about the accent and the vocal delivery, and what you thought about him using that super low register. I feel like he overacted a little bit. Uh, he's such a great actor that. I feel like he was given this script and like like I was saying, this kind of cartoonish character and he overacted a bit, but what I was actually going to ask, uh, if you don't mind me asking a question here, did any of you guys find yourself rooting for Jack instead of Tom? I kind of wanted Jack to uh, kind of win this whole battle. I just, I felt Tom was just this very prototypical like masculine male he's a genius he's physically dominant over other people he's able to sleep with several women and it's like uh in the sopranos when tony soprano said whatever happened to gary cooper the strong silent type you know like this is like your gary cooper strong silent type supposed to be like the prototypical male and he just seemed like such a bullshit artist i don't know i i didn't root for him any of the film and the uh william monahan didn't like give us any kind of buildup to make his character more likable. So what I thought of Jack, I, I just felt like I was kind of actually rooting for him, even though I, I do feel like he was a bit of a cartoonish character. But, you know, maybe that's the difference between 2016 and 2022, is that these kind of prototypical male char- male characters aren't as intriguing as they once were in film, in my opinion. I mean, that's all really good points, and I'm glad you brought them up. Kelly, go ahead. Well, Eric, you're pointing out already early on that Jack gives you kind of a the Joker kind of vibe. Yeah. And I think that Tom, in comparison, is kind of Batman, where yeah. later in the film we're given, and I know why you like Jack, is because at one point he literally says, I'm the 99%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. There's a few great lines, and I think that Oscar Isaac is a star of the show. No surprise. He's like the goat of A24 as far as we've seen so far but I think that that's specifically why you're rooting for him Eric is because this you would was prob- that character this film was probably written before Bernie Sanders and then came out when Bernie Sanders was getting really big and then the 99% you know we were starting to root for these kind of characters in film 
true, true. 100%. <laughs> All right, Blaze, are you simping for uh, for our boy, Mr. Oscar Isaac here, or what? Yes, I 100% am. And I want to say that if there's one thing that I can take away from this podcast in the 20-odd episodes that we've done so far is how greatly underappreciated, underappreciated Oscar Isaac as an actor. The three films that we've seen him in, Eric says that he overacted. I think he perfectly acted because he is a fake he's a pseudo intellectual is what he plays he thinks he's the he's a serial killer that thinks he's smarter than everyone and he's four moves ahead and he like lives in this false narrative uh where he's like like you know oh i had such a bad upbringing if i wasn't such a you know shitty kid i'd have such a shitty life i'd be in the hollywood hills right now um so i really feel like uh his character is probably there are people like that that really act like that that live in a trailer in the mojave desert and they're like oh well i could beat you at chess and i know all these strange literary references and philosophical terms and as far as that uh campfire scene goes i agree with cole i think that was the best scene in the entire film um just the way that they played off each other at first i love the uh allegory of uh meeting the devil in the desert uh when jesus did and that's when uh Tom slowly realizes that he's dealing with a bad man and that and grabs the rock and everything. I just thought the way that they played off each other and I wish they would have had more scenes together because I really feel like Jack brought out the best of Tom as far as his acting went. Because when he was with, you know, uh, my other favorite character, Mark Wahlberg, um, they were really just on the phone together the whole time. But he just seemed like a guy who was, I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name, but he just... When he wasn't with Oscar Isaac, he seemed like a model that just happened to be like a really good looking guy. And they're like, you need to look like a really good looking artist. But they played each other well, like Batman and Robin, like Kelly look, said. So. Garrett, Garrett Headland uh, is the name of the guy you're thinking of. But he's, he is generically a good looking guy. That's it. Like He was what, in Tron Legacy, I think is the biggest thing that he's probably ever done. And Mojave's his... relatively forgotten about. So Yeah, his character reminded me of entourage like yeah. the main guy oh, yeah. from entourage who's like the actor and he's just like a pretty boy actor or whatever that's what this character was even though he's a director apparently like i mean that's, I, i'd be that's his also and his donnie drama so that's... well yeah marky mark and the funky bunch just played that oh, yeah. he literally looked like he oh, stepped right off of the freaking set of entourage like there was no change in the <laughs> yeah. character like it was just straight up that or Scarface, you when know. Mark Wahlberg appeared, man. I was like, "What the fuck is he doing yeah, here?" Yeah, that that was my was reaction. Like, to it. We'll get to that again. Literally literally said that out loud. I was like, "What yeah. the fuck is he doing what here?" What the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Oh, biggest, Lord. biggest surprise of this whole movie was Marky Mark right. showing up. All right, well, here's my two cents on Oscar Isaac because I can. Um, I like many of you. I really enjoy his performance in general. He's the saving grace of this whole film, and I think he acted right down the middle of what he's supposed to do. A little bit over in some places, a little bit underperformed in others, but I think it was a, an excellent performance. I also wonder how much direction he actually got on this role. I think that from what I can gather, he was just kind of given this role um, as, a, as a, here's what it's written as a character, you figure it out. I'm not that certain of it all, but I think that he kind of got that feeling where he just kind of dove into it the way he wanted to see it. And it was absolutely over the top, but in a good enough way to kind of keep it compelling. All right. Any last minute things on the desert scenes before we get to the oh fuck moment, the oh shit, what just happened scene? I, I like to quote uh, 
Killer of Religions is the Desert by T. Lawrence. When Jack said that, and I, I thought it was actually might go into like more of a Jesus tale, uh, like maybe he was just imagining Jack. Uh, Tom was just imagining Jack. I, I thought if he went down that fork in the road that uh, Willie Monahan did, I feel like this could have been a better movie. 100%. Yeah. I want so, to touch on... Oh, go for it, Kelly. Real quick. Um, kind of Cole alluded to Oscar Isaac not looking as handsome in this role, and I have to completely disagree. But also, going off of that, when I was surprised when our main character realized that he was a bad guy, because um, I totally was just, like, charmed by him and thought that, like, when our main character decided to take violence upon him, basically, and strike first before sh- stricken upon. Uh, I was kind of surprised by this fact. And then we are told what this guy has been up to the whole time, and he was right in his, like, initial feelings about this man. That took me by surprise as a viewer. Yeah, I wrote totally unnecessary after the the events happened. Because I was like, <laughs> you didn't need to do that to him. Like, what the hell? Cole? Yeah. Uh, after, after you, like, see the movie, if you go back and watch that scene... It like it makes sense, but I had the same initial reaction of just like, why is he picking up a rock ready to kill, like fight this guy? Uh, one thing uh, that I was a little confused about: the director guy, right, Tom. He doesn't own any guns. He has to like get a gun later in the movie. But during the desert scene where he's like takes the guy's rifle, his little like lever action, and starts and storms off with it. At one point, you see him like put about ready to shoot oscar isaac and he does he goes through and he like sets the site for the yardage and all this stuff and i'm like this guy is shotguns the whole of his life like he must be very good i thought it was a very good uh interpretation of a person who knows what he's doing but the guy doesn't own any guns so well he lives in california so <laughs> but he's no like- but that's a really good point there's no consistency in it like yeah. he's able to do what we're going to talk about in the next scene here in a second at a blink of an eye but you're right he doesn't know how to get himself a gun like that doesn't mean there's no consistency you you don't have to like know that he shot guns as a kid or whatever he's well nobody just like is a genius artist an la hipster plus extremely masculine knows how to beat people up plus shoot guns like there's nobody just, just yeah. can't believe it at all those things yeah and- and, like, that <laughs> rifle is, like, an old-school rifle. Like, that's back, be- like, when scopes weren't really a thing. And, like, he's using, like, a legit yardage sight for iron Listen, sights. Listen, I, us- right. I usually like your nitpicking, but this one's a little too, like, you know. We are going to move I'm gonna on. I'm going to nitpick all day long. You just wait till play the end, buddy. Play into the kayfabe, all right? Just play into the kayfabe. We're shutting it down. We're shutting it down. So, after the campfire devolves into violence, as Kelly mentioned, Jack has been clubbed in the head and uh like a baby seal and runs off like a baby seal tom runs off into the night and basically uh hides himself in a cave to get through the evening we get next scene where someone silhouettes at the entrance of the cave and like a crack of the whip tom wakes up shoots said person in what presumably is the neck and that person is dead so, the oh shit move- moment of the film is when it's revealed that this individual is indeed a law enforcement officer. Whoops! You're fucked, brother! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Time so, three. Tom has now killed a cop on accident. Jack is now standing across the way and sees them. And now this do-or-die relationship kind of goes on to the next level. 
Tom escapes back to L.A., and we kind of start getting a sense of what's going to happen next. So as this film takes its natural progression into the second act, what were some of your initial reactions to uh, Jack's character pursuing Tom into the city, and what were you hoping to see from some of those scenes? Kelly? I was saying that this point of the movie is when it became much more engaging for me. I think that it was like a little lackluster, if not like pretty at times, until this point. And then everything that followed afterwards, I found much more engaging. I was much more interested in what was going to happen next. And who was the bad guy? Is there a bad guy? What would I have done in this situation? It like raised a lot of questions, and I liked the pacing following this point. So act the start of Act 2, much stronger than the beginning of the film for me. Interesting. Does anyone have an opposite opinion of Kelly when it comes to the feeling of the second fact? Go ahead, Blaze. Well, first, I, I do want to make a quick nitpick since we talked about him hitting the guy in the face, hitting Jack in the face with the butt of his gun. One of the weirdest things about this movie is, like, fools be getting the shit kicked out of them, and then the next scene, they're completely fine. You know? Uh, Very true. Jack gets hit in the face with the butt of a gun. You wouldn't have noticed. And then later in the film, he beats the shit out of Tom. And Tom wakes up in a pool, like, with no bruises. Yeah. What's up with that? Well, he, the cop. The cop, he up. dead. <laughs> cop was dead. Yeah. Lots, lots of blood he involved wasn't okay with that after. <laughs> um, But that, as, like, that whole thing, too, was just so convenient. Like, how does a cop show up there? Why is he there? Yeah. Like, the whole thing. Because well, he was near the road, range, right? Come you know? on. But like Eric green said, green Eric green and I have been quoting so often. Whoops! You're good, brother. <laughs> that was one of, and then my other favorite line is when he's hitchhiking to LA and they drive past him, and he's like, "I want to pick me up either." I I literally laughed out loud at that point. <laughs> I, that was a pretty good one. Oh, um, like that one. I didn't like the switch though. Like like I was leading to the whole time. I really wish the whole movie would have taken place in the desert. It, I guess in the moment it would make sense to just fire at the first shadow you see, but again, he's like. As far as we know, he's got a pretty squeaky clean record. So the fact that he didn't just stay around and say, like, hey, this guy's stalking me. He's probably a killer. Look at all these notches in this gun that I had to steal from him. Oh, movie over, end credits. So, like, the swerve wasn't earned, I guess, is my main point. And then for me personally, uh, as we get into Act 2, as we go back to the city into the Hollywood Hills, that's when the movie, I start losing interest in the movie. Um, especially because, like I said, the... The actor who plays um, Tom is just not very interesting, and the people around him aren't that interesting. And Jack does save the movie in this part, like, you know, picking up the poodle guy and stuff like that, and that adorable poodle. (laughs) But, you know, as far... I wish the movie would have been, like, mano-e-mano, so to speak. I wish it would have just been a two-person film instead of all this filler. So I didn't like the swerve. All right. Cole, go ahead. What do you got for us? I liked certain aspects of the cat and mouse chase they went into the L.A. Uh, one thing I did like was the initial scene when, like, Jack gets to L.A. and he meets with, like, the guy to go back to a hotel room. And then he just instantly uh, kills him, takes his stuff, and then heads to his the guy's house and gets himself a nice glass of milk, which is a nice callback to the bonfire where he's drinking the coffee and he said, I would kill for a glass of milk. Classic film villain trope. Villains yep. drink milk. And I'm just like, 
that guy likes yep. milk. He's definitely the bad also, guy. Also, Eric Andre uh, billboard when he first gets to L.A. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wrote it. Yep, I paused it. I was like, that's Eric Andre right there. I didn't yep, notice and Hannibal that. Verse is on there, too. Also, I feel like uh, we need to touch more on this milk drinking trope. What other classic villains have drinking well, drink? Well, that's like Coco, and then, then we'll go about, we'll yeah. go about yeah. milk. Clockwork Orange, the girl uh, in the finish up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just I just wanted a quick question to everyone. Uh, do you guys easily hide your passwords to your safes, computers, and everything <laughs> just, like, on a sticky note? Because, like, that drives me crazy whenever I see it in every single movie where they're just like, oh, jeez, he he's got a password. And you're just like, oh, wait, it's right here. Well, not <laughs> the note was here. hidden behind, a, like, a, like, a hidden compartment, so that makes it better, right? Kevin, are you telling me you got a sticky note on your desk that I can find no. and get into your safe Absolutely and into your computer? If movies were real, all the passwords would be one, two, three, four. Let's be honest. Yeah, well, that's the that's the password on my luggage. So, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, spaceballs, spaceballs. Yes. Anyway, all right. So, flow. Kelly thinks it flowed very well, the pacing wise. Blaze thinks opposite. I think that the pace for me also slowed down a little bit when we get into the city. I feel like in the desert we had a little bit more um, of a motivating factor with some of the violence and some of the other things that we were seeing, the elements, um, need for water, things like that. And once we got to the city, I was a lot confused. I had more questions than answers. And I guess that's what kind of slowed it down for me a little bit. But, Eric, you're the last one here. What do you think on the pace? Pacing? I actually didn't have much problem with the pacing. I have more problems with the choices for where the plot went. The main character, who is just a supremely unlikable guy that I could not root for the whole time. Pacing, though, yeah, I, I felt like that was okay. I think Mon- William Monaghan actually directed an okay film. He just didn't write one. That's fair, which is interesting because he's you know lauded for his writing skills, um, yeah. at least from a professional standpoint. Kelly? Talking plot, Eric raised a great question when we were watching this movie together around this point, which would have put a very A24 twist on the movie, where he thought, or at least he asked in a way where I thought that he thought, that Tom was our serial killer. Because the way that we learn about a serial killer in the desert is Tom is leaving, and he kind of sees a few newsstands that say, like, seven dead in the desert something or other eric kind of asked the question where he thought that maybe tom was the one who was every time he went out into the desert he was the one who was killing people and then was going to shift it and blame it on this drifter because at the time for me still i didn't think that the drifter was doing anything that might be questionable i thought that our villain was our main character so it was this very interesting twist that eric kind of brought up that i almost wish had happened instead of it being so not a twist and more just like a blank story. You're definitely end. not along, uh, alone in that theory. There's a couple of things that have been floated on the internet um, similar to like a Fight Club style where there's also yeah. a comparison between those two people and whether or not they are or are not each other in special moments, especially when you think about the dialogue too where they talk about comparison themselves, right? Or comparisons between themselves and their personalities. So I think that's an excellent observation and it might be more accurate than you think. Cole, go ahead. Yeah, I uh, I also, I didn't have, I like Eric and Kelly's theory uh, better than my own, but I thought that, like, this film, as it progressed, uh, Tom was going to make himself 
seem more and more guilty of the crimes that he did not commit and essentially pseudo frame himself by trying not to like essentially like get himself in trouble with Jack and get away from him. He's going to basically frame himself and the end would be him getting, going to prison for committing these seven murders. And you wouldn't be that bad because Jack or Tom sucks and he's kind of a shitty person. So you're like, yeah, you, yeah, you should go to jail no matter what. And then Jack goes and, you know, keeps on being a drifter, doing his drifter thing. I was hoping that would be what happened. Did not spoil I feel alert. like we could all Oops. have written this movie better if we would have worked on it together. Blaze, what do you think? <laughs> Yeah, just to piggyback off what Cole said, because uh, although I do like Eric and Kelly's um, interpretation or hopeful interpretation of the film, uh, piggybacking off of what Cole said, what was the point of the cop showing up? Because I thought that's where they were going to like start implicating him. Okay, so and, I, I have uh, a theory here. Norman. Um, when Tom goes into the cave, that Marky is Mark. like Jesus dying in the tomb. And then oh him killing the cop was like him moving the boulder. And L.A. is like Jerusalem. <laughs> So he kills the cop, he's, you know, he comes back from the dead. Uh, Oscar Isaac is just his temptation, you know, temptation speaking to him. And then he goes into, you know, L.A. slash Jerusalem. And at the end, he's uh, he's crucified. What? And did you know that Cain and Abel were... Brothers. Actually, that would make sense. In time, but never mind. Oh my god! Oh, I'm a dying. Rock. <laughs> Eric, this movie isn't that smart. I am no, so it's sorry. not. Oh, just a hopeful interpretation. Right. I mean, there's so much we could. No, but, we all could have I, written this better and just turned it out into a much better film. I think. I'm, I'm, I'm saying when Mark Wahlberg dies, the cops come to his house. Yeah. Like you know, like. Like, a normal movie, that's when they start like, hmm, maybe it was this person. Didn't you say I'll kill you, cocksucker? Yeah. And stuff like that. And then, like, nothing about that gets resolved. There was no point of that scene otherwise yeah. to pad the light, pad the run time, right? Because it was, it was just to let him know that Norman died. Because they were like, you have an alibi, but we wanted to be here just to see what happens when we say But do you, do you need a scene for that? Can't we just... Wait. No, no, we don't need a scene Well, they needed, the whole they thing needed just 90 minutes. Well, like I said, like, like with Cole, that's the part where I was like, oh, guess what? Tricky little Jack is going to start, like, implicating him. Mm-hmm. And then they have all this, like, cool dialogue, and they're like, eh, fuck it. We're just going to have a shootout in the desert. Let's go. All right. So, we've talked about a lot of our characters, but we haven't talked about all of our characters. Now, we do have one female character in this film, one that has, you know, some relevance in it in the interaction with our main characters, um, and that is our mistress model played by Louise Bergwong. I think I got that right. That's pretty French uh, for a last name. Uh, what did we think about this character, kind of her motivations, how she moved the plot along? Was it a necessary part of this, and kind of where do we think that whole thing played along? She was... An object to kind of show that, like, hey, our genius filmmaker guy, he he gets it in. He he totally fucks. And, yeah, he she, she was an afterthought, like, and just kind of trying to build up the mystique of this uh, main character. And, yeah. He did have that good. good scene, though, with uh, her and Oscar Isaac when she was having lunch, uh, when he sat down and tried chatting with her, and she eventually just pretty much told him to fuck off. Yeah. I thought that was... That was probably the only scene of note from her that I, I took of. Blaze, did you have anything to say on, on that character? Not a lot of good things to say. I, I think there's a trend right now in the A24 movies of uh, one-dimensional female character 
that doesn't really do anything to help the plot. Um, she was really funny. I had to turn on the subtitles because her French accent was really thick, and the fact that she was in the lead of a, an American play was kind of funny. That um, <laughs> you know <laughs> that her accent was super thick, um, so I had to turn on the subtitles. But I mean. As far as the character, she didn't really do anything for me outside of, uh, oh, you have a stalker? Well, I have 27. And I went, ha, that's, that's funny. Yeah, uh, that was a line, for sure. But I don't know. She didn't really do anything to the end outside of, like Eric said, that turns out that, well, it didn't even turn out. We already had an inkling, but Tom's a piece of shit, and he cheats on his wife in England. So she was pretty, and she was funny sometimes. Yeah, she yep. was so tough because she said, you can't tell me what to do. I know it's dangerous around here, but it's not for me. I'm going to do what I want. And they're not allowed to take pictures here, so just fuck off. I'm like, okay, cool. Yep. Moving on. Moving on. No, I agree. I think that's uh, probably all the time we need to spend talking about her. What about Walter Goggins as Jim the Lawyer? He also had a very small role in this where he basically was just a phone call away from our main character probably not really worth mentioning other than he existed did anyone want to throw in on walter goggins performance cole uh i part part of me loved his performance of just a guy who is a lawyer for all these pompous assholes and he's just like he's at the end of his rope and he's just like i don't even care i'm gonna like he says i'm getting 15 percent no matter what man what's the line we're all fucked fuck. anyways yeah. 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 Like left, right, we're all fucked we're all anyway. Fucked. Yeah. Like I, I loved that, but also I just like way underutilization of him. Like all he does is just like sit, lay, lean back in chairs, ripping cigs, and just not giving a fuck. Uh, but maybe you know that was also a lot of these characters, like the I, the black guy that was like a bodyguard or something for Marky Mark, just always on his phone. I also thought it was interesting that. None of the characters, from my recollection, had any last names. They were just all a name. And, like, in the credits, it seemed to be that as well. Uh, I did like the guy, uh, the actor Matt Jones. He plays uh, Beaver in Breaking Bad, who is the doorman. They had him labeled Bad- as Badger, insane. Badger, <laughs> yeah. They had him credited as insane doorman. And I'm like, all he wanted was him to read the script. So I don't know if something got cut out where he just like fucking goes psycho, but they just. Cole, you and I, I are know. on the same page where we both read the IMDb afterward, like after the fact, and went, that's not what I saw. Yeah. Nah, I don't like, who's making these, these interpretations? Like, they're not even close, <laughs> or at least not what we're seeing, anyways. Yeah, what made him insane? Why is he credited that way? That's just bonkers to me. He fucking he wrote a screenplay, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already touched on Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and his total just random cameo. You would have to think that that was something with his connection from the Departed days with with Monahan. Like I'm not really yeah, sure how else probably. he shows up unless there's some you know connection from when they worked in that movie together. Yeah, in the main character Tom, him he was in that uh, Four Brothers movie with Marky Mark too. So there we go. So but. we have some some things. Norman. So. <laughs> Not to interrupt, but no, I just please. feel like when we're talking about Marky Mark, when we're talking about these kind of scenes, when we're talking about the lawyer who has, he's a total vibe. When we're talking about this girl, she's her own kind of vibe. She's like a man's interpretation of a woman who lives in, who's an actress. But regardless, I feel like that is a whole different movie than what we get with the desert scene or anything where Oscar Isaac 
is involved in. I feel like we're watching two different movies at the same time. What? Why? What is the reasoning for that? Is it a lack of direction? Does the director not have the ability to control his talent in the sense of giving them clear and honest direction? Is because yeah, that's what it feels like to me, kind of. right? He wrote it, right? So if because he wrote it, he has a certain idea of the way it's supposed to be. But if he doesn't have a lot of experience, a as a director working with these big name talents, he's gonna default to what they want to do. I mean, these are some A list actors. This guy's never directed a movie before. Maybe that's what some of the inconsistency shows itself. Blaze, what do you think? I think that it's a terrible screenplay, and I don't think it's necessarily the director's fault. Well, it is the director's fault for writing a terrible screenplay, but I think these these actors, I think these actors are all professionals. I mean, I know Mark Wahlberg phones it in on, like, Transformers and stuff like that, but I don't think any of these actors, like, went into this movie thinking, you know... Like, uh, like I've talked about, you know, the slush money scam. I think everyone came to this movie thinking it was a real movie, and they really wanted to act how this director, you know, the guy who wrote The Departed, like you keep alluding to, you know, I've, I'm sure they hold him to high esteem, and I really feel like he probably had a rain on these people, and he's like, again, like Kelly said, it, it, it's two different movies, and it blows my mind. It's like he was filming two different movies at the same time, and they kind of, like, accidentally got filmed at the same time. It's like, ah, eh, that's one movie. Let's do it. Throw it out there. It wasn't the directing that I think was bad. Because, again, like we talked about how great the cinematography was. I think, you know, the set design was pretty good. It's just what he wanted his actors to do. It feels like he, like, didn't know where the story was going after the desert. And he was just like, just do this. You know, we got to wrap up in 20 days. So that's the vibe I got from from that. All right. Wonderful. Now we're going to move on to something completely different. Let's talk about some music. Like most thrillers or most um, classic thrillers, we have a uh, a score that was written directly for this movie. It was written by a classical m- musician by the name of Andrew Hewitt. Um, he doesn't have a ton of uh, credits that I've heard of, but uh, he's definitely classically trained and you know knows what he's doing. But that also leads me to my opinion before I ask all about yours is that this was a very generic soundtrack. It sounded like Jaws in certain parts. It sounded like every other thriller that I've ever been a part of with the high strings that give me the anxiety and the and the weird bass noises and just didn't give me any sense that there was anything special to it. Um, and that was kind of my takeaway. What did you all think? Eric? So, sound like royalty-free music to me. Like, it, it didn't sound like... Uh, perfect. I, yeah, Fucking perfect. <laughs> it, it did not sound like he actually wrote all this music for this film it just sounded so generic i've heard this song like twelve thousand times before literally at one point i was like this is the jaws theme just remixed like this is bullshit (laughs) so yeah i'm sorry man didn't do a good job on it yeah does anyone else care to throw in on that are we all pretty much on the same opinion that there just was nothing special yeah blaze i enjoyed the last song where uh oscar isaac sings verbatim um about other lines he said in the movie as he's lighting the trailer on fire. Um, it was a terrible singing and there was terrible guitar work, but like it was such his character to have already pre-recorded like he knew he was going to die. So I love that song. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about the trailer because that's a really good segue as we get towards the finale of this film. So as the cat and mouse game progresses and they find more and more interesting ways of threatening each other and getting each other's faces and accusing who of who of being the bad guy and a very awkward bar scene where they're kind of negotiating with each other's life and then all of a sudden Oscar Isaac screams, $200,000! Like, and now money's off the table and it just very 
didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But we get our final climax, right? Our desert scene. And this is at Jack's trailer, which if Jack's trailer was really there the whole time and there were seven people murdered in the desert, you think the cops would have found it by now with skulls in the cabinets, et cetera, et cetera. What did you guys think of Jack's trailer? What did we think about that whole scene in general and kind of the final climax? Cole, start us out. Uh, well, he had an Airstream, and those things are pretty pretty pricey, pretty nice. So he was living it up for sure. Um, <laughs> I thought it was quite comical that our that Tom just like rolls up on his motorcycle and is like, I'm going to get the drop on this guy that literally sent me the coordinates and told me to come out here. And then he doesn't get the drop on him. And then Oscar Isaac is just standing behind him with a shotgun. And I'm just like, of course, why would this be any different? Duh. Um, <laughs> it's just like every turn I was hoping for something different. It wasn't. It was exactly what you expected the whole entire time until like the very, very end with where they're sitting at the table. That kind of took me as a surprise of just like how quickly it happened. But I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, I think if it stayed in the Mojave the whole time and somehow ended up there, cool. But it didn't. It like went back and forth and kind of bounced around and was in LA and didn't, I don't know. I just, I had lost it. Well, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'd lost it in the realism. Like why, why did Tom go out there? You didn't have to, right? Didn't have to go out in the desert where a guy's clearly waiting well, to murder you. Like, just apparently he was suicidal, so we missed that. Part. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He was going out there to kill himself. <laughs> I mean, if, right? If, that was the it idea. makes sense now, but fuck, I don't. Right? I was in that point in that movie. I was like, this guy's just a fucking you know adrenaline junkie. But I mean, you so bring up a great ago. point. At that point in the movie, we've all established that we weren't really enjoying ourselves, right? We were kind of waiting for it to end. I don't know about you, but I was looking at the timeline as it was scrolling. Like, I don't know how a movie that's 90 minutes felt like it lasted for forever. But we get to that final scene, and I do like the way that the trailer was kind of set up from a from a scene standpoint, the different nooks that made it look like a serial killer or someone as eccentric as Jack lived there. But um, in general, I'm not really sure how I felt about it otherwise. Blaze, what did you think about that uh, whole final scene? Uh, the wrong person died. Um, one number two, I everything that Cole said, I feel like that scene probably would have been deserved if they would have stayed in the Mojave in a cat and mouse game the entire movie instead of like, hey, you should come out to the desert and finish this. The cops don't know the math, da, 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 like some weird again, there's just so a lot of weird like shit, like I'm smarter than you, like dialogue. And then the uh, actual Russian roulette part was kind of cool, but. Just like you, Kevin, I kind of like paused, went out for a cigarette. I was like, okay, 11 minutes, thank God. Um, and then the death happened, and then it just kind of ended. He like kept a bullet, and then he ended up throwing it out anyways. Like, the coin, I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get the ending. It was stylistic. It was really cool, like, the way they filmed it. It was really cool the way that uh, the gun had all the bullets in it, making Jack's, you know finishing his arc as an untrustworthy character and then he's like can i have some water no and then he blasts him what seems like in the face but then he puts a thing over him and his face is completely fine so once again there's no like lasting damage in this film <laughs> i did I, I like cole said i would have really really feel like i would have appreciated this scene more had 
the uh, meat of the movie stayed in the Bahabi. All right, Kiskas, what do you think? Too convenient of an ending. Uh, he, I, I get that, you know, Oscar Isaac had to be the one to die. He had the cops after him, and I now we're just kind of, it's insinuated he just kind of gets away with everything here. He got, gets away with killing a cop. He will get away with uh, possibly being framed for all these other murders that Jack did. And he, yeah, it's, it's just a very convenient ending for a very prototypical strong male that is so perfect in every sense. Uh, tortured soul, but also, you know, just can beat the shit out of people at any moment. You know, it's just, I don't know, man. I You, you got to write a better uh, lead character if you want me to care and root for this guy and be okay with him getting away with uh, everything that he did. I, Kelly? Take us home. Same, what do you think? same, same boat. By the climax of this movie, the climax for me was him shooting the police officer and hearing "Whoops!" That was the climax. Yeah. This is supposed uh, to be the climax, but at that point, I was so like disengaged, couldn't have cared less. Like who lived or who died, I was like, whatever, whatever, brothers, just get. Get it on with whatever you need to do to move on with <laughs> one of your lives, and I don't, I don't care. Even when like he like flips it on him, and it's supposed to be this like really cool <sighs> twist, I just was not like, I wasn't involved. I didn't. Just it's such an important part. Me. Movies have to make you care. They have to make you give a shit. They have to make you want to see what's going to happen next. And when that doesn't happen, that's a mark of a bad movie. Cole, go ahead. Uh, I want to propose a quick question to everybody because I think I have a different answer than what everyone else was. Is uh, who is the true like bad guy in this movie? Because my answer is neither Tom nor Jack, but I want to hear what everyone else has. Bad to guy say. is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I, I think well, they wanted kind of Jack to be the bad guy, sure. but it didn't come off to us that way. Uh, watching it, you know, in this day and age. A hundred percent what Eric said. I think that yeah. exactly that the writer and director said that Jack was the bad guy. He was a serial killer and that it was a, you know, Hollywood allows you to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Please. The bad guy is society, man. Like <laughs> uh, we're all just corrupting yeah, each other. And like from the lowly drifter to the high artist, like no, morality is just gray. So whatever, bro. Fuck it. Um, that is the industry. Industry. <laughs> Except for Poodle okay, Guy. Well, Poodle and Poodle Guy were pretty sweet. Uh, other than that, yeah, everyone else can um, burn hell. So, yeah, you're all wrong. It's actually uh, the guy that walks up to the Poodle that's abandoned on the side of the <laughs> yeah, road that's tied up to the light post right. and just takes the $100 and leaves well, the Well, that's, that's kind of part that of my is, thing. <laughs> you're right. That is the worst guy in the whole entire movie. I was being a little sardonic, like, but I think that, eh, whatever. Yeah, Blade Blaze, you were close. But, yeah, that, that is the true villain in this film. And fuck that guy. I hope Oscar Isaac uh, killed him. So Kevin asked this earlier, though, but bad guys drinking milk. Alex DeLarge in uh, Clockwork Orange. Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. Colonel Hans Landa in Glorious Bastards. Uh, Norman Bates in Psycho. Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood. Uh, And I guess uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, uh, the Hydra guy, he drinks milk. Um, Um, Alien, the traitor, uh, he drinks milk. 
Uh, the woman from Get Out. Yeah, there's there's a, a long history uh, of the... uh, villains drinking milk in film. In, in Clockwork recently, Orange. Homelander and the Boys. That's a TV show, yes. but Homelander uh, yes. he enjoys yeah. breast milk. You know, so yep. uh, the villain in Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, also drinks milk. Terrible. Who knew? Uh, this is this is mind blowing. It's me. a it's an old uh, you know film trope, which is Actually, pretty cool that they keep bringing it back it. though. Yeah. As Cinema right. Sins would say, though, don't all assholes eat apples? They, there's also a thing. I was just, uh, when I was, like, looking this up, there is a thing about eating apples in film and, like, kind of getting yourself into shit after you eat an apple, as uh, Adam and Eve, or Eve would say in the Garden of Eden, too. I got myself into a lot of shit here, you know? Right. Movie tropes. Love them. Old Testament Movie quote tropes. there. So, before we get to our final um, grades here, I do want to kind of harken back to William Monahan in general and kind of just what we thought about the writing. I know we touched on this and we touched about it with The Departed, but I feel like it's still worth stating what we kind of thought he was doing here with his intent. He truly thought what he was writing was something that was going to be visionary or something twist-worthy or something that got him an Oscar. But here we find that it's truly where he felt like what he was given was a lot better than it actually turned out to be. Did anyone else kind of get those vibes from from this in general? Am I reaching out on a crazy limb here, or is it worth kind of discussing as we finish this out, kind of the director's intent and even creating this piece in general? Cole? You know, William Monaghan obviously is a good writer. I mean, he helped with The Departed, and he like there was some good dialogue in this film that I... I thoroughly enjoyed, but I think there was no one there to like rein him in and to like ground him. And he like went, he tried to do too much. And I think there's also an issue when writers become directors, it does not translate very well. And they kind of like, as they're writing, they're trying to like direct at the same time and it doesn't work out. I mean, Stephen King directed one movie of all, you know, and it was Maximum Overdrive, which is amazing, but also complete trash. And he never directed again. William Monaghan, you know, kind of same situation where you try and write and direct and it just doesn't work out. You're good at you. You should just stick with writing and also get someone to proofread and make sure that you're not going off on a weird tangent. And I think he probably just smoked a lot of weed, watched No Country for Old Men, and maybe The Rover, and was like, I can make a movie just like these. Does anyone else have a strong opinion on Mr. Monaghan? Go ahead, Blaze. Not not necessarily, but I do want to think that it's weird that A24, I haven't seen all your films yet, but um, if you're related to The Departed, do not hire people, because Revenge of the Green Dragon... The, uh, the movie was based off of the movie um, that inspired The Departed. And now they have this movie. So uh, you're 0 for 2, A24. Um, don't hire actors that, you know, are related, like Mark Wahlberg and Ray Liotta. Um, and you're good. <laughs> so, you know, we're learning lessons, and that's what's important. Martin Scorsese, so. too. Horrible director. Don't hire him. Uh, yeah. He just yeah, makes who's that guy? Never, never heard <laughs> of him before. Mm-hmm. Who? All right, ladies and germs, here we are. It's time to talk about the final grades. I'm going to go ahead and go first to get it out of the way so I don't have to waste any more of our time. But basically, I have so many questions, and not the compelling ones often brought on by a fulfilling cinematic experience. No, no, this is more like 
how the fuck did a 90-minute movie feel like I was watching the extended cut of the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I mean, Christ. I mean, it was the same scene done four different times with four different backdrops and a gratuitous use of the word brother. Felt like Hulk Hogan came out with his set of 24-inch pythons and told all the Hulkamaniacs that Hulkamania was run wild. And I'm sure there was some reason for it. I just don't really know why. And it came across as more irritating than memorable. The performances of Garrett Hedlund and Oscar Isaac, yeah, they were well done, but I had no problem believing their motivations or intent. But in general, I just kind of wanted the whole thing to be done as quickly as possible. They battled wits, but at the end, the wittiest thing was some of the quotes that were put together eh, felt hastily and didn't come across as nicely as they should have. Um, at the end of the day, I really didn't enjoy this movie. I wanted it to be over. I won't recommend it to anyone to watch. For all those reasons and more, it gets a solid D24. And that's my rating. Eric, what do you think? Uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff I've already said. The screenplay was very poor. I, I feel like they did gather some good actors. Minus Garrett Hudland. the main character was just so unintriguing, unlikable, and... He just was not enticing to me at all. So I, I couldn't care about this movie. And I don't know, the whole second half of the film just felt like a whole whirlwind that just threw me off. And I kind of wanted it to stay in the desert. I wanted the magical realism of the Mojave Desert to carry throughout the film. I wanted a Jesus story. I wanted Oscar Isaac to be the snake in the desert that tempts Jesus. And, you know, they didn't deliver on a lot of the things that I, I wish that would have happened. So, I think I'm going to give this film a D24, just like you, Kevin. There there were ent- entertaining aspects to it. I Even some some of the lines in here, I liked, uh, I liked Jack's like philosophical lines sometimes, even though I felt like Oscar Isaac kind of overacted a little bit with this. It, it's the uh, problem of Nicolas Cage, you know? Like, Nicolas Cage, phenomenal actor, just tends to overact sometimes. So, D24 for me, and uh, yeah. Hopefully we uh we we'll we'll get a definitely a better film next week. All right, Blaze, hit us, buddy. Okay, this movie is very disjointed. Um, it really feels like if you gave your best friend in college who was a film major a budget for a movie, there's a lot of cool ideas, but it also thinks that it's so much better than you, and it really just has this like. Uh, upper nose, like, upper crust, like, I'm so smart and artsy, look at me. Uh, just like Mississippi Grind and Cole's theory, uh, Kelly and Eric's uh, canon that should have been is now my canon, and I like it a lot more. <laughs> like, the campfire scene, if it just would have been that, with that, like, crazy philosophical, literary, you know, just random, like, I'm smarter than you dialogue, that would have been great. But it carried over into every scene, and it really just plays off like the audience is dumb and this is high art. And it really isn't. There's a lot of cool shots in it. I love Oscar Isaac. I think he's really the breath of fresh air that this film needed. But it's bogged down by literally everything else. Like you guys said, the sound wasn't sounded like royalty-free music. The uh, side characters were like not needed at all. I wish... They would have like gone to the final cut and been like, no, go back to the drawing board, do it out in the desert, have it a cat and mouse game between these two men. And it probably would have turned out to be another movie, but this it's making a social commentary on something. It's like under the skin where it's 
probably over my head, but I also think it's really stupid. So it's probably not over my head and it just like doesn't make any sense. I would not recommend this to anyone. I did not like it. I'm probably never going to see it again. I'm going to give it an E plus 24 just because Oscar Isaac really did save this film. But everything else, throw it out. It's, it's not worth my time. Can I just say in my rewriting of this film, I think there was a moment where they talked about a a Burning Man guy that just like got like lost from the face of the earth. If in the desert, uh, Tom encountered Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg was a lost burner that continued the party into the Mojave Desert after Burning Man, then that would have been pretty cool. I love your fan theories. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you ma- no wonder you married Kelly Cannon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Thank you. Speaking of Kelly, you're up next. What do you think? I have my pros and cons list. Do we want pros or cons first? There's co- pros. pros. Pros, please, please. I need to hear the good things before pros you. Before I'm a con air fan. Pros before hoes. So am I. It's my favorite pros movie be- ever. But you know, our pros are Oscar Isaac. We've already touched on him, uh, and I already said this word for word, but I will. It bears repeating. He's the goat of A24 so far. Let's see who can possibly dethrone him. But he plays his character very well. He is the highlight of this movie for me. No surprise to anyone. Other pro, per us talking about it, was the car accident scene. I really, really thought that that was a really strong point. Uh, The ramp up after the cop killing. This, like, middle tier of the movie to me was the best part of it. And I think that it raised a good question for me, which I was hoping was going to continue through this film which was how does somebody in the limelight get away with a murder when we have our character driving around trying to get rid of his bullets trying to hide the gun that he stole from the cop he killed in his tv stand and doing all of these weird kind of things when he's isolated he doesn't really have any friends in his life i thought that these were interesting kind of questions that they were raising but then didn't fully explore but i like that they raised them and then there's certain pieces of cinema itself that I thought were standouts. Blaze was kind of talking about how it's like an artsy, maybe pretentious movie in parts, but I think that those pieces are maybe some of the strong points where it does still feel like, it feels like cinema. It doesn't feel little budget. So I like that. It's a pro for me. Cons would be Tom and anything that he's involved in. I don't think that our main character did very much for me. Uh, Poor start and... It trailed at the end where I just wanted it to be over. And as we kind of mentioned, it just would have made for a more interesting film if some of the theories that we raised were what it was trying to raise itself. Which means, like, when the movie ended, I was left just feeling like, what was the point? What is the meaning? What was I supposed to take away from this? And the way that it ended and the way that these characters kind of resolved, I didn't really take anything away. I was like, all right. That was a movie that I watched. But well. <laughs> all that said, I didn't not enjoy myself. I wasn't completely disengaged. I actually probably went against my perceptions of what I thought this movie would be. So I would rate it worse, but I enjoyed it. And for the right person, I think this might be a good movie for them. And especially just like the conversations and the dialogue between our two main characters are actually really, really strong. So it gets a little bit higher. So. D plus 24 from me. All right, Cole, bring us home. All right. There's not a lot of love for me for this film. I think the, the my, my biggest pro is that 
when I was watching this film, all I thought was, I haven't seen uh, No Country for Old Men in a long time. I should watch that because that is a fucking phenomenal movie. And and if you haven't seen it, go out there and watch go. it, though. folks. Uh, avoid this movie. If you were like, ah, I should watch Mojave, go watch No Country for Old Men. You'll be happier. Uh, I do love Oscar Isaac. I agree he is the GOAT of A24 uh, at this point. They're just like the movie itself. Just it wasn't it didn't compel me. It didn't make me feel anything. I was bored halfway through it. I started doing the timeline checks. The most entertaining thing for me for this film was actually counting the times that they say brother, which was an astonishing 55 times. Holy shit. Uh, I was hoping yeah, brother. Oscar Isaac. Yeah, brother. Oscar I felt like Isaac, there was more. Oscar Isaac accounted for 50 of those. Wait. And five of them were by Tom. No, wow. no. Tom said way more brothers. No. Tom said way more brothers. Tom said it five times. Oscar Isaac said it 50 times. God. This is a 93-minute movie. Oh, my. And if you take if you... 55 brothers and divide it into 93 minutes, you get... 90 you get uh, a brother every 93 seconds which is fun wow. math 93 minutes a brother every 93 seconds you're going a minute and a half and you're hearing a brother in this fucking movie man like uh, cole i was hoping i was gonna get this but i am just so much more satisfied actually hearing it Dude, thank you, know you so what? much i wish you would have said one less than he could have been in four brothers and said four brothers Oh, if only, if only it was that good. But no, this movie was an absolute train wreck. I did not like it. Also, I like at, my hope. I think in in my my heart was that at one point this was going to kind of go into like a zodiac because they used the zodiac symbol and there was like murders and it's in California, kind of. Mm. And I was like, that yeah, was a sloppy maybe. bullseye, and you know it. I know, but I just <laughs> had a hope. I mean, if you look at the at the picture uh, or like the the. Um, movie poster it has like the symbol. Yeah, the you're right. They kind of make it so a like, big okay, focus on that poster. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but no, overall, I didn't like this movie. Said brother way too many times, and every time Oscar Isaac said it, I kind of cringe because he wouldn't say it normal. He could not say it normal. He had to say it like he had Hulk, to Hulk Hogan. It, yeah. Fucking reason. Also, the lady said that like when when Tom confessed to his like. Uh, mistress that he basically kills someone she was like i hope you don't think this makes me think you're any less attractive i'm like so she's just okay with him just being a fucking murderer so murder's hot now 2016 2015 murders in so that was cool um overall did not like this movie go watch uh the rover or no country for old men over this five times in a row before you even think about this movie uh, i'm giving it a solid i'll give it an e plus 24 just because there are worse but i did not like this movie all right well thank you all for participating this fine evening um, and thank you all for listening if you're at this point in our podcast you have lasted the entire time congratulations thank you very much we appreciate your loyalty like and subscribe and all those things next time we record we are going to be reviewing the witch so if that is a favorite movie of yours, go ahead and tune in next time as we all get back together again for another episode of A24 on the Rocks. Thank you, and have a great time. Have Bye-bye. a good night, brother. Bye. Also, Bye, brother. When, we, brother. when we say we don't recommend it, we still recommend it for you so you can follow along with the podcast. But well, every, right, yeah. yeah, you should watch it anyway because, you know. Don't recommend it to your grandma is what we're saying.
You're watching. Yeah, no. Grandma wouldn't like it. Would no. <laughs> Watch it. Recommend it to your brother. Oh, brother. brother. Uh. Whoops. You're <laughs> fucked, right. brother. Whoops. You're fucked, brother. Four.